Session. Liam McLaughlin, ladies and gentlemen. What's up, my friend? I'm happy to be here at Emory Stone. <laughs> so, how's it going? Yeah, going well. Uh, yeah. Life's pretty smooth at the moment. Cool. So you've been a member of the gym for what, like three years or so? Yeah, just over three years. I Tell think. me about your life like way before that. Where did uh, where did the Liam McLaughlin story start? Well, uh, number one, I guess the more important years started, really the social development years, were Medina, Ohio. And that's a, a little suburb. Actually, it's not a little suburb. It's quite large, so I'll refrain from saying that. But it's about 45 minutes south of Cleveland. Um, and that's where I became an Indians fan. A Browns fan. I'm a slight Cavs fan, but so I'm I'm a Clevelander. Slight Cavs fan. I'm not. NBA doesn't hit me. Yeah. What What's your thoughts on like the whole LeBron thing? What whole LeBron thing? Like him leaving, him coming back. Like as a Cleveland, as a slight Cavs fan, what do you think about that? I think humans in general overreact to a lot of things, and so when the burning of the jerseys happened, I thought number one that was ludicrous. Even when I was emotionally jerked. Yeah. At the time. Um, cause I, I just started college and so there was two things that happened there. One, I thought the burning of the Jersey was stupid cause you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Number one, number two, it could still like in the future be a throwback Jersey. Did you have a LeBron Jersey? No. Would you have burned it? No. Yeah. Number two was from the fan standpoint, it was how he did it. If he had just left, if he had just yeah. gotten up and said, you know, I- I'm leaving, but no, he made this. He made the decision. Like it was actually a Sports Center thing titled "The Decision," yeah. which was framed by Sports Center. It was media doing media. They literally made it such that it was more of the Cleveland thing. The fumble, the drive, yeah. the decision. They were making it into something. That's that's the thing that's always upset me about the decision. So the media hyped up this whole decision thing with LeBron, right? The media was like, what's he going to decide? What's this decision? And then the media made this spectacle about his decision. And then when he did the decision in the way that benefited the media the most, then the media crushed him. Right. Uh, well, they, he got crushed on all sides. So- I mean, I'm not saying that it was like, that was it was a good move but what i'm saying is like the media was like complicit in every step oh yeah and then they just pulled the rug out of under like rug out like right from under him it was like what are you doing kid and they just built it up so if lebron had done what he had done as any other normal player would do right they're a free agent and they went somewhere else yeah that happens no one can blame him for doing that right and he got more money any individual human would do that he decided, along with media, we'll say, ESPN, sure, to do this. And you're like, way to – Cleveland has literally been – and this is a bit of a chip. Cleveland has been a stain other <laughs> than when we had just been tearing off NFL championships, which I wasn't alive then. Cleveland wasn't a stain. When Cleveland was a booming town, it wasn't a stain. But now it's like this funny pun – to make Cleveland this stain where yeah. there's hundreds of thousands of people who live there in not only in the city but in the suburbs and around that it's not a stain to them. It's life. So the more that you continue to drive the narrative that this place is a junk heap continue to dr- continues to directly affect the growing of their lives. Okay, so there's my chip. <laughs> if I have one. Okay, so I'm a Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that I didn't even know those opinions of Cleveland existed. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty deep. I really don't know if anyone's ever actually vocalized it, but if you ask people, yeah, 
Um, but it, it sort of speaks to this idea. It way. sort of speaks to this idea that like sports, they're 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 both extremely meaningful and extremely meaningless in the same in the same in the breath. same breath. It's like. Uh, a national championship to a city can revitalize that city and create such city pride. There was something, there was an article I read or a podcast I listened to that was talking about like how 80% of the Denver population came out to their, you know. It was uh, the gentleman who filmed Icarus. That's and he was it. talking about and he, right, yeah. and he was talking about like if the mayor of Denver came out and was like, "Okay, we're taking over the United States," the whole population of Denver would be like, "We're going right for after it. their Super Bowl." It's win. the yeah. sports pride. It's the same thing, and it, I'm literally quoting. I think his name's Brian. I forget his last name, but yeah. it's like the same thing when Germany world won the World Cup just recently on that absolutely tremendous goal. It, it, that was a fun final, but yeah. it's the same concept. It's when China wins the Olympics, when Russia wins the Olympics, when like the United States just crushes because we do. You know, it's it just these, creates this national pride within the within the country, right. within the state, within the city, and yeah, Icarus. That that that's exactly where we started talking about because we we're talking about the whole like rushing dope and stuff and like. But it does give people hope, and like yeah, I can genuinely say I remember, I, like I can distinctly remember. I still get chills about it. Like sports have always been a part of my life. I've yeah. never known any individual part of my life that has not had competition in it. And so yeah. I do drive a lot of value from sports. And I, there's reasons that even in losing efforts, like the person that I'll be rooting for, I will specifically watch to the end every time the winning moment because yeah. that true joy of winning is unparalleled, where you have overcome something so tremendously difficult to achieve a goal that was once unattainable, now attained. That moment of joy, whether that's in the Olympics, major sport, it doesn't matter. What was your first moment? What was your first winning moment? Do you remember it? Oh, wow. Or what's the first winning moment that you remember? I can tell you the first, I can tell you the first winning moment I remember, and then the first losing Oh, both moment. powerful. Yeah. So the first winning moment, I was uh, I was in I was a Boy Scout growing up, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun, and they had the Boy Scout Olympics, and I was I was an athlete growing up, and uh, <laughs> in the Boy Scout Olympics, it was like like six or seven events. It's like a a run, like a cross country run. It was probably much less than a mile, but we ran around this monkey whatever. bars. How quickly can you make a forest fire? Yeah, well, no, it wasn't anything. Like, it was all athletics. It was all athletics, oh. <laughs> and I crushed. I absolutely, <laughs> I crushed. And every event had a had a trophy. And so, at, at this point in my life, I was probably like seven, eight, maybe like nine, something like that. I had a fair amount of trophies. You had a master collection. Yeah. I doubled my trophy count in one day. <laughs> this was like this was my this was my Michael Phelps like Beijing Olympic moment. <laughs> Eight golds at one Boy Scout Olympics. Yeah, I crushed it. I was like, it was like the long jump trophy. Like cross country trophy. <laughs> And the, the 30 for 30 is coming, I'm sure. I know, it, it definitely. If I, there's those like shaky <laughs> 80s-style videos, yes, yeah, it's coming. Yes, I still have the trophies. They're, they're garbage trophies, but I have them. I'm <laughs> <laughs> apart, I'm like screwing them back together. So the final event was the softball throw for distance, and I was the last group to cycle through, and so all the other boys had thrown the softball as far as they could. Oh, and so my, you knew how far you had to throw? Well, not yet. So my dad is there and, and I like step up to the line and I was like, where's the farthest? And the guy like walks back and I knew in my head if I threw it past the guy, I'd win. And I like, like launched the softball and threw the softball as far as I could and it was like right over his head. Like, boom, boom, boom. I remember looking at my dad and he was like, 
That's my son. Got another trophy. <laughs> I think I only didn't win like one event or something. I, f- I forget the details, but I remember like, wow. Like I remember that winning moment in that moment. In that crazy. moment. Yeah. And it's that same mindset. It's just like smells like that, like a smell can bring you back to a memory. That moment brings you back to a feel which can propel you. I can say, as you, like, as you were talking, I was thinking, when did competition start to really become a thing? And I was actually born in Chicago. I was a small town, or it's really not a small town either, Naperville, Illinois, um, which is just south of Chicago. And when I was really young, I used to play chess against Pops. And he, at that, like when I was super young, instilled, I'm never going to let you win. Of course. I don't care. Have you beaten him yet? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In okay. chess, I beat him in chess when I was young. And then, oh, now that I string this, I do know what my first winning victory was. I beat him in chess, but not before I did my first winning victory. But I do recall just like I tried every night. We would play two or three matches. And of course, I'm like a little kid, so I'd lose quickly. So two or three matches didn't take long. But long enough that like my brain's hurting. I'm a little kid. And he never let me win, period. Yeah, now he shouldn't. The, no, and absolutely he shouldn't. Like, I think that's the role of a father is to set this athletic and mental and, like, like intellectual line in the sand and say, son, beat me. And it's not an athletic thing. It's an everything thing. Yeah, and exactly. It's, it's literally an everything thing. When you wake up in the morning, when you're going to work, when you're getting a presentation, when you're doing just general life things, when you need to cut off a taxi, it doesn't matter. You need to cut off, like, when you're driving? Always. <laughs> driving rule number one of DC, cut off the taxis. Yeah. Um, but my first <laughs> my first winning moment yeah. was a Thanksgiving. I was nine, and my family, the, really the part of the family that I knew, they live in New Jersey. They're on my father's side, and our whole family, from uh, Grandpa Frank to his wife Miriam to uh, my Uncle Kevin, Dad, Mom, my sister didn't play, but my cousin Evan did play. We were playing Monopoly. And it was the first game that Dad didn't help me. In fact, he sat on the other side of the table, and I creamed. I absolutely... Was it, was it like lucky creaming, or were you like were you sophisticated in the way you... Well, I mean, play? I was a kid, so it's like we did play the rules, number one. Number two, the parents were drinking, but I think that's are irrelevant. You putting, when you play... When you play what, what are your, what's the McLaughlin house rules set on Monopoly? So... Free parking is a collection of taxes. Okay, but bank no, does not put money in. Okay, so but like the ten percent of whatever, like when you when you hit yeah, those when things, those things that happen. goes into the middle, right? So the, the pot on a free parking in that scenario is probably what like two three hundred when you land, and on it, it can grow. Yeah, it can grow. Like, it, can, it can get bigger than five hundred. Oh, it can get way big. Yeah, like it can get to like thousands of dollars if right. no one hits free parking. But it starts off like you know, like your chain your, twenty your, thirty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So those are the rules. All right. So um, that rule, and then. First come, first serve. And we didn't play auction, which is the rule. Mm. Got to play auction. I know. I, I learned that at a later date. Yeah. So it was it was like by luck, but I won. I'm nine. I know nothing about Monopoly, but I knew. I knew what was happening. And when I won, it was the fi- my final opponent was my uncle, uh, my uncle Kevin. And when he laid down his piece... It was like the house went Mad Hatter. <laughs> it was awesome. And I do distinctly remember that. And it was such a good feeling. Like, I won. And I looked around. And like my cousin Evan, I'll compliment him. And if he ever listens to this podcast, he's a physical <laughs> specimen. Also, I compliment him because he's a mental specimen. 
He was a serious heroin addict. He was an opioid addict. He actually wow. fled the state of which he had a felony from, and then he came back. He's over his addiction. He's now three years sober, and he is kicking ass. Like, not lightly. That's awesome. He's got a girlfriend. He's uh, He's got buco in the bank. And he's just, he works with his hands every day. Like, it goes to what, what Mike what, what Rose says. Like, works with his hands? Like, what? He, uh, housing, AC units. He does the whole nine yards yeah. for houses. He's like, con- like a handyman? Yeah, and people contract him out. Wow. And he has a contracting company, and he's kicking ass. He is That's absolutely awesome. kicking ass. I'm a like, full what, supporter. Like, what was this Monopoly game was obviously happening before his his oh, way before. Yeah, yeah. So he was like, still a wild child though. Was, was there something? Was there something like sparked his addiction and then like he, he was able to? Conquer I don't know it, that much about it. Um, I know that like even when I knew him as a like a kid, right? He's he's maybe five years older than I am. So if okay. I won that at nine, right? Then okay. he was fourteen. Yeah, I got it. Okay, but I thought that still, he was like your. So he's your uncle. My no, my uncle and my cousin are two different oh, people. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I thought we were talking about your uncle. No, un- no, Uncle Kevin's a different guy. God, I was gonna be like, you have a five year old. I mean, like people have those. <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> yeah, people do have that. Not yeah. my, not my. Okay, family. I got it. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm totally tracking now. But he's a dynamite individual. That's cool. Absolutely dynamite guy, and I. My mentality and a lot of things that I do come from a lot of the people that I make examples. And it's not that I ta- I'm taking the example as its total. I will specifically pull what is great and bring that into who I am. One thing. So I had two dear friends die when I was in cop. When I was sorry, when I was in high school, mm. um, and I distinctly remember my my dad saying to me that those people don't have to die. Take what was best about them and incorporate that into your life. If they're so good that that's what you remember about that individual. I see. So your dad's not saying they didn't have to die like like their death was preventable, but like right. their their life can continue through There's still you in that's those actions take the best. And so What'd by you take? with Evan never give up. Yeah. You can change. You can if something's going wrong, you can change. And by and large that's been a McLaughlin statement. Um it's actually at the top of my resume that a positive attitude defeats all obstacles. Hmm. Obviously, a positive attitude is not going to defeat terminal stage brain cancer. But how you approach those final yeah. days and the attitude that you take and the time that you share with those people will change that. And it will directly affect those people. So it's like if you want to be a neg against that, that's my neg against your neg. But what I'm saying, <laughs> seriously, but what yeah. I'm saying is that whatever you're doing, if things are going south in any specific situation, you can change things with a laugh. You can change things yeah. with a positive attitude. No matter what you're going through, that mentality, a positive attitude does so much more than just a smile, of which a smile does a lot. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree. I think I talked about this in the opening podcast, but like my mindset as a, as a swimmer in college, my mindset for the first three years was so incredibly negative. Excuse me. It was like, I re- yeah, it was like, I hate, like, I hate waking up. I hate going to the pool. I hate, I hate, I hate. It was like everything was was led with, with extreme negativity. And of course, I hated swimming. Of course, I couldn't wait for the, for the practice to be over. Of course, I hated every second, every minute. I would look at the divers. We haven't gotten into your diving background, but I would look at the divers in their little in their little hot tubs, and like sitting and Looking like we're having fun, but little do you know we're really around. not. And I would be like, you know, you always craft the story. You always craft like the best case story for somebody else and the worst case story for yourself, right? Like 
I have it so bad and you have it so good. So I would always look at the divers and be like, they have it so good. But finally, my senior year, I was like, no, scratch all that. Like we're not gonna, like we're not gonna play those games. I'm just gonna lie to myself. Like I'm going to make this practice fun. This isn't up to the coach to write me a fun practice. It's up to me to make the practice fun. And you're you're 100% right. When you approach something with the mindset of positivity, like you're you're going to perform better. There's a study, actually it's about cancer, um, that when people learn that they have cancer, the word cancer has such a negative connotation, especially if you're diagnosed with it, that the patient will go into such an extreme state that that's what more often than not sets them on a negative path. Interesting. So if you're a, so the connotation, and it it was really a, a study around placebo effect. Yeah. And I love placebo effect is probably my favorite amazing. human whatever. I really don't know what the term for it is, but the fact that your body will actually heal itself if you let your body believe it. Yeah. If you become part psychopath, you can actually believe whatever your mind wants you to believe. Yeah. It's like, you know, you can you can believe lies that you tell yourself enough time. I was at the of which what you were telling yourself about swimming is, was is a, a lie. lie. Of course, of course. And when when I I graduated the Naval Academy and then I I ran this, uh, this I swam through college and I ran this um, this swim instruction. Side note: Swimming's a lie. Don't let your kids swim. I know it's the worst. But <laughs> I would I would teach I would teach swimming or I'd, I'd help people who didn't pass their swim tests their freshman or sophomore swim tests. I would teach them swimming so that they could pass their swim tests, right? And at the Naval Academy, you have to pass your tests or whatever you do. But one of the tests, you have to go 25 feet. I think it's 25 feet, maybe maybe 30 feet underwater. It's not a long distance. But when you don't know how to swim, it might as well be forever. Also, put in reference, 30 feet actually is quite a large difference. 30 feet walking and 30 feet underwater are two totally different 30 things. 30 feet is 10 yards. That's a first down. If you look at, okay, yeah, you could look at it as a first down or bring it right side up. That's the height of a 10 meter. Now, how high is that? That's no. pretty high. Yeah, we're talking yards. It's a little less than a ten meter. Oh, you're talking yards, not feet. Thirty feet? No, no, no. Yeah, thirty feet is is ten yards. Oh, yeah, you're talking a, a, a ten, 10 meter. meter. A, th- a ten meter is thirty two. <laughs> thirty two point. But the point is, the point is, what I would do is I would tell, I would, I would start these, I would start these, these, these kids practicing kids. They were my basically my peers. I would start them off like five feet from the wall, and I'd have them take a big breath, and they'd get to the wall, and then I'd move them back a step, and then they'd go a little further, and then eventually. Like I used to say, all right, and now we're going to do the test and you're exactly 30 feet and they would all like fail. But if I just backed them up to some arbitrary point and didn't put the number of what it is, like didn't put this obstacle that they knew in their head they couldn't accomplish in front of them, if I just backed them up to a random point, they did it. And they do almost it. every time. And it's <laughs> today I learned that it's this this concept that humans can not only you can trick your brain into anything. It's placebo effect. But I just read a study today that humans will, if presented an argument that they gave from a mouth of someone that they disagree with, right? So it'd be the same exact words, but the person from the study would then say, maybe two weeks later, they would say, you know, so-and-so said this, 60% of the time, they will disagree with it. You are programmed to disagree with yourself. If you choose to disagree with yourself, it's your mind telling you, no way. 
It's you fooling yourself. Yeah, I think it's well, I think it's sort of like the the skeptic nature that's probably built in all of us. It's like eat these berries. It's like, how do I know they're not poisonous? But <laughs> the hell, I'm gonna eat those berries, you know. So I think that might just be like sort of our our genetics, or just like the way that we are programmed as humans, maybe. It, well, it's maybe, but it's the power of the mind. Yeah, it's it's so it's so incredibly powerful. It's un it's unimaginable. It's it, and we've talked about this before. I love um, things that put things into small general things into perspective. Okay, so we know more about space than our own oceans, of which the magnitude of space, you can't even picture it in your own brain. Really, you can't even picture how large the oceans are in your own brain, but you can picture Earth. Yeah. We know more about space than our oceans. We know more about our oceans than we do our own brains. Yeah, that's crazy. Right. Our brains can do so much more than we can even fathom. You, you've told me... Uh, in, in recent conversations that people can literally function with part of their brain. People can function if their brain is split. People can do unimaginable things. Yeah, your brain will like rewire the, the pathways, right? Like if you, if On you its lose own. some ability, it'll, it, it can like rewire itself. It's self-healing. It will do things on its own to help itself. The brain is smart enough to talk about itself. Yeah, that's crazy. We are only functioning of this, and we are talking about this. <laughs> that got really deep and kind of stupid at the same time. So, but, like, what are what are some strategies that you put into place to cultivate? Because, like, in, in the gym, you're one of, like, I, I think you're one of the strongest mental competitors that we have. You know, like, like if, if you look at the way that you approach a workout, like, you approach it with, the, with a certain mindset of, like, I, I am going to win or I will not be defeated or I, like, I don't even know, but there's, there's clearly a difference between the way you approach a workout and the way I approach a workout. <laughs> so I think a lot of people approach a workout just from the perspective of let's just get it done. I'm not saying that's wrong. There's different fitness goals for each person. Yeah. Okay. Right. So if you're going in on the gym on a general day to do the workout, I mean, that's fine. And no one should, number one, you're doing more than what most people do. Number two, you're doing something extremely hard. Yeah. And so that is to no fault of anybody. If that's what your goal is. For sure. But I that's think. never been my goal. Yeah. Right. Um, and so number one, it's really, it is the, the different school of thought that I have when I approach a workout. Like I am going in to be competitive. And it, over the past three years, I mean, cocky or not. I've done well in any general day in comparison to the gym at large. I've also done well in comparison to DC when it comes to the open. And so it's like I carry on myself and I do it on purpose because it pushes me to do better than what I can well, that like, I think, arbitrary pressure. I think the important thing is like you you know what makes you tick. Like mm -hmm. you know what drives you personally. You know what fires you up. Like me, for example, I don't give a crap. Like, I, right. don't, I don't give a crap where I fall in the, in the, in the global DC. I don't give a crap where I fall. Right. But, but like that, that speaks, that's, that sparks something in you. For sure. And that, that, that's the, the flame. And I think that's one of the, one of the most important things, like going back to when I was an athlete, uh, I guess, whatever, going back to when I was swimming in college or, and before it's like finding that one thing that you can focus on. That's like, that's your inspiration. That's your spark. That's like. That's the thing that drives you. And it's, it's almost that myopic vision uh, that an athlete has that, that, that 
cultivates like a mental environment that allows them to really push past like whatever limits they thought they had in the past. So, and so you, you, you derive a lot of, a lot of that motivation from just the competition aspect of it. Expectations, competition. I love competition. We highlighted that, um, I've been involved in competition my whole life. I don't think I'll ever not be. Yeah. So where did that, where did that cultivation, like where did that competition, like that love for competition, you were talking about your first, like your first winning moment being Monopoly and like where, like what's your, what's your, what's your sports background? Like where did you start? Um, so I was involved in a lot as a kid, as all kids are. I did tennis, I did soccer, I did lacrosse, um, you know, I, I did all these sports, I did gymnastics, um, and I carried gymnastics and tennis and soccer longest. Soccer eventually dropped off. Um, I played it a little bit in high school, but I played tennis all the way throughout high school. But I didn't do gymnastics in high school hmm. because there was very little men's competition. That was number one. So I wasn't ever competing. I was always doing exhibition. And that, I mean, for lack of a better term, it really stunk. Yeah. Um, like, I'm just there, which... I'm there around a lot of girls, but I'm also like nine and 10 years old, which like, I don't know what girls are at that point in time. If I was smart, I probably could have stayed. <laughs> but the point is like, it didn't, there was it didn't, nothing, it didn't fuel what you were like, what you would, maybe you didn't there was know no give that and you take. were looking for, you, maybe you didn't know you were looking for competition at that point, but there was no, like, like you weren't being satisfied with the sport. There was no push. Right. And I was going in every week in practice, right? I'm doing, I'm still, as a kid, I was still doing upwards of eight hours a week as a kid, which is a time sacrifice on my parents. I now look back on it now, but I'm doing like eight hours a week as a kid doing the same things every week because there's no reason for me to get better. Right. So tennis, so tennis was sort of your first, like for lack of a better word, like serious Fourier, Fourier, for whatever. What's the word? Uh, uh, (laughs) Avenue to express competition. Yes. We'll go with that. Right. Um, yeah. And, Pops, mom and dad played tennis their whole lives, and Got we it. have been a tennis family our whole lives. Yeah. Um, and so dad was my first coach. Mom was my first coach. Um, and that's where that kind of began. And real I would quick, say – Real it, quick, Federer or Nadal? Fed. Yeah? I have a high amount of respect for Nadal, but Fed. No questions asked. Yeah? Do you think it's that black and white? Oh, it's that black and white. Definitively fed? Uh, definitely. It's not even close. What if what if Nadal just goes on an epic? If tear? Nadal decided to somehow what, a better question, what does Nadal have to do to, to, to topple Fed? So it's he's gotta win more majors. Yeah. It's I mean, now I mean, they are in the battle of majors. He, Nadal's gotta win five more? Two. Uh nineteen to seventeen, I think at this moment in time, as of November fourteenth, <laughs> two thousand seventeen. Um Fed has the record for the most weeks at number one. He has so, the record. Hold on. If if Nadal if Nadal wins more majors than Fed at the end of their career, you'll give it to Nadal. Yeah, because Nadal has done a lot of impressive things. He's how won. Is, how old is How old is Fed? Uh, 34, 35, like thirty four, thirty five, like thirty two. Oh, okay. I thought I thought Nadal was like twenty nine. Right. Okay. I mean, yeah, like from Nadal's perspective. So they're both on the uh, on the the end of their swing. You would say, but tennis is going in a funky way where, yeah. um, like, the Australian Open in 2017 had the oldest semifinal ever. Hmm. And it wasn't even close. Is that a factor of there not being enough young talent getting no. into the sport? Absolutely not. So that's not. just that's just because 
It, it's good. a factor of yeah. today's athletics. Yeah. I mean, you see it with Tom Brady. You see, you're seeing it everywhere. Yeah. You're seeing our generation is seeing the ability for athletes to carry. That's a good point. Yeah. Thirty uh, five's the new thirty. <laughs> I mean, that's nice. It's nice to hear. Eventually, we'll have robotics. Everything. Yeah, that's um, crazy. So, so competition started with tennis. Yeah, right? we'll track back to that. Competition started with tennis, and then because there was no gymnastics, my freshman year of high school, I stopped, and I was like. I got nothing, but I needed something. Um, wasn't really looking for anything. I didn't yeah. really have an objective. And so one of my most dear friends came up to me and said, hey, Liam, I just happened to have been at the rec center, and there were people diving. I think you'd be good at it. And so I went, started diving my freshman year of high school, and then grew and to the point where um, my junior year, I was ranked number one in the state. This is wow. nothing special. Now knowing what the realm of tennis is, I'm going to brag about what high school tennis or high school diving, diving yeah. was knowing greater things. Um, but And this I was, is in Ohio. This is in Ohio. Got it. I was number one in the state my junior year. I didn't win states. I actually had a really bad event um, My district at my district, which is the meet before the yeah. final. Uh, but anyway, so I was number one throughout the whole year my junior year. I made states the following year, um, got second there. Um, and I distinctly remember like that meet, I have a lot of like happy places. It's like if there's if there's times where things aren't going well, I can go back and I can pull a specific memory and be yeah. like, I can change my attitude like that. That me, those feelings, and the the whole environment. I can I can put myself in that meet. in state meet junior year, senior year, senior year. Okay, and that's when you got second. Second. Yeah. So I I also got second in swimming my state at <laughs> my state meet my senior year. Um, it was less of a happy place for me. Interesting. Why was it? Why? Because you wanted first. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was a really tough emotional battle because I like I had set my goals. Like when I entered the season, my goal was to podium, and then my coach talked me into you can win this. Mm -hmm. And so then, very early in the season, I posted the fastest time. I mean, like the fastest time by seconds, and that like in swimming, it's like hundreds of seconds, like. Like I, I posted a 154 in a in an event, and the, the next fastest time was like 156, 157, something like that. And I held the fastest time by a lot for most of the season, like all the way up to the state meet. And then I had a terrible prelims, and then I was like, all right, like it, it comes down to one race. I was seated seventh, and uh, this guy Matt Wheeler, like I'll never forget the last 25. I missed, I, I like at first I missed my breaststroke turn. I really I shorted my breaststroke turn. And then uh, the freestyle, I just remember I was like, I have, I have two laps. And you always know it was like you, you know where you are in every swim race. Like, like my goggles could fall off. I mean, I know exactly where I am. And it was like me, me and Wheeler, me and this, I, like I've never met him. Like I don't <laughs> I have no idea who this kid is. I just know his name. Right. And I remember like doing the flip turn off the last 25 and I like everything perfect. And I remember that last like 10, 15 meters Time slows, the crowd, every time you breathe, you hear the ah, ah, and I just remember like every stroke and like I touched the wall and remember telling myself, be happy if you're second. Like you did good. Be happy if you're second. And I turned around and I got second and I wasn't happy. It's, you know, right. But I like, and then you, you have to pretend to be because like you, you, like I did great. 
It just right. crushed it. Right. It was the fastest I've ever swam in my your entire life. Your team's freaking out more than likely. Yeah. Your, your fan section's freaking out more than likely. You, you rewind six months into my life and you said you, you're going to win second at state. I would have flipped my shit. I would have taken that. I would have cashed in, said, cash me in. But when you're that close to winning. Right. So walk me through walk me through your mindset. How'd you, you know, for someone who who thrives in competition, why is not to like harp on this and like, you know, like dog sure. you, but like why is second place such a good spot? Well, number one, diving is subjective. Oh. And that really grinds my gears. Um yeah. it's probably the reason my kids, son, will not dive. <laughs> Um, because it's so arbitrary. Whether you're the best guy or not the best guy that day, the judges have it in their mind. Now, that being said, the guy that I was competing against that day, there was no doubt he and I were the one and two. It was just who was one and two. Got it. And so I went 10 out of 11 dives. Yeah. He went 11 out of 11 dives. Got it. So right? You, he hit. Yeah. He hit his dives. I missed one, but that one, the difference wasn't so great that it couldn't have been made up. It's yeah. just that it would have been hard to have been made up, and I yeah. needed to miss. I needed him to miss a dive. That, so, that was basically it. Yeah, you you got beat. You didn't lose. Also, the factor that I had, I was the one of the first athletes to podium from my school in swimming and diving. I had my superintendent. My, we had four principals plus a head principal. They were all there at the meet. Awesome. I had a fan section. My family was there. Like People came explicitly for me for that event. That's cool when that happens. It was really freaking cool. Awesome. And the diving world is really small. Just like the swimming world yeah. is really small. So And so people, like there were coaches there that like knew me. And so it's like there was this, there was an atmosphere there that was real. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. That, that, that actually makes a lot of sense because part so, – so basically what I heard was one of the reasons why that's such a good spot for you is you felt like you legitimately lived up to your athletic expectations. Like when you looked at your performance, you were like, yeah, I crushed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so going back to my swimming example, I legitimately thought I was capable of going a 149. I went a 152. Like I didn't, I didn't live up to what I thought I was capable of doing. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And so it was like it was disappointing that I got second, but had I done what I what I was capable of doing or what I thought I was capable of doing, then I would have won. And so maybe maybe that's the the takeaway, I guess. It's it's really interesting. I think that's the wonderful thing about sports is that I mean, like we were talking about we were talking about like the importance of a positive mindset and the importance of competition and how you need to drive. I think one of the most important things is that win or lose you win like you win as a person right like like you lose a competition you win a competition either way you're learning a serious lesson about yourself it all depends it goes back to placebo effect and how you extrapolate placebo effect it's how you choose to frame what happened yeah you can choose how you respond to whatever happens so if you end up losing Okay, you can gripe over it. You can have the Super Bowl hangover and not make the playoffs next year. Or you can pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get back to work and start hammering at it again. Like the Spurs. Like the Spurs. When they got crushed by Ray Allen in Game 6 and then lost Game 7. Or maybe it was Game 5 and Game 6. And then they came back and beat them, baby. But like, I do think that's a prime example. And teams like that 
show, okay, get back to your bootstraps. Sport happens. There's a reason we play the game. There's a reason that Browns fans wake up on Sunday mornings thinking we might win this game because any given team can win on any given Sunday. Yeah. Any given it that's except the, for the except for the Browns and this they, they hurt, but there's still an opportunity. <laughs> the point is there's an opportunity. So you can there's a reason Federer has to play a wild card when he's the number one. Of course. Because you don't know what's gonna happen. You have to play the game. Yeah. And if you wanna ball up into a little crybaby position, that's fine. If you want to play mediocre, which is a default position in your brain, you can be mediocre or you can find your flow and you can pick yourself up and truly play the best you can play. That's There are some days where that can't happen. Yeah. And, and that's, Lifting happens all the time in the gym. That, like, okay, you step under the bar. Sometimes right. you can't lift as much as you lifted the other day for a whole litany of examples or right. reasons doesn't mean that you still didn't give the best effort that day for the reasons that you had. Right. And I think that's, I think that's a really important lesson. It's, it like comes back, it comes back to, to like what you have to offer. And, and the way that I sort of think about sports, especially, especially like youth sports, like growing up, I think there's, there's few things where like you reach your athletic apex when you're what, like 22, 23, maybe yeah, even for younger. Men. And I like, think it depends on the sport, but right. by and large for males, it's like they're young 20s. I mean, but like you're, it is completely reasonable for an 18, 19, 20-year-old to be the best in the world or approaching on Absolutely. a trajectory to be the best in the world. Absolutely. And I don't think, like, it would be preposterous for a 19-year-old to be the best financial investor in the world or the best... CEO or the best whatever in the world. There's things that take time. Of course. In sports, sports is something where as a kid, you can be exposed to extreme amounts of pressure. And yeah, a lot of this pressure is artificial pressure. It's pressure you put on yourself. It's pressure your coaches put on you. Maybe it's your family. But is that not pressure that you experience as an adult in in general life? Exactly. And it's it's the it's it's that lesson like sports are so vital I think for kids growing up to participate in because they put this this extreme amount of pressure on them and it forces the kid to deal with the pressure to deal with winning to deal with losing and either way learn and grow as a human in that experience exactly and I think it's the first environment that kids get exposed to where it's truly like very like there are many more losers than winners oh yeah. And I think it's learning those lessons through losses that sort of shape you and, and, and create the person you're going to become in the future. And how you respond to them. Yeah. You can be, you can lose, which all of us do every day, all the time. And like, you show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. This is like, Cam Newton like really popularized this a year ago, but this is something, my dad taught me this a, a long time ago. Show me a good loser, like some, some guy who's like happy about losing, he's a loser. Yeah. You show me a guy who's willing to accept that loss, but also have a small chip on his shoulder and choose to learn from it. That guy is going to be able to turn yeah. around. He's going to hop back on. She is going to hop back on the horse. I think it's a. I think it's a. I think it's a. It, it's it's a thin line there because like a good it's loser. How you choose to frame it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah. I guess it's more of like more nuanced in that discussion, but like. You know, you watch Conor McGregor lose a fight to what Nate Diaz or or Floyd Mayweather, or whatever, and it's like he loses in such a graceful and humble way, especially in the context of how arrogant he he was, you know, in the in the right. lead up to the fight. But he loses with that with that chip on your shoulder. It's like that loss 
I think Connor said it. He was like, he was like, I win, I win, I lose, I win because I learn either way. Right. You know, and I doubt Connor was the first, you know, philosopher. And your public showing of loss is different than your internalization of loss. That's true. That's true. Completely different. So way, way back at the beginning, we were talking about your first win and we didn't get to your first loss. Well, do you remember your first loss? Like the first like gut wrenching the first loss that sticks with me to this day was junior year at districts in diving. I was number one in the state. There was no questions asked. I'm going to states. In fact, I remember the week leading up to that meet. We were joking about with my with my teammates because my teammates, they had the number one relay in the state. Um, I forget what relay for, but we were joking like, we're going to have such a good time at states, yada, yada, yada. You know, like what high schoolers are doing, like we're really excited, like, we're going to get the hotel room. It's going to be a It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And I went in so cocky. Oh, no. Two things happened. Number one, I ended up running a fever. And I puked in the middle of the meet. Number two, still competed because I had to. Yeah. Number two, on a, one of my dives, I hit the board. Ooh. I completed the dive. It sounds worse than it was. I just clipped my heels. Okay. So it's like as I was entering the water, my heels clipped. Oh, I okay? see. Okay. But in diving, that's a maximum of two. So it oh, doesn't matter sure. how well you could perform the dive as a 10. But yeah. because you hit the board, it's a height of a two. Yep. So I got twos on that dive. And because of that. Two out of 10? Yeah. On that specific dive. Right. So I missed a whole dive. Yeah. It's really hard to make that up. It's not unmakeable. But at that point in time, and th- I, I learned from that. I let my mind, and I, I was watching the meet. I watched every diver. I'm like, and I was looking at the board. I'm like, I'm doing the math yeah. in my head. I'm like, okay, if he does this, and then if I do this, and then he does you this. You were so focused in every and ab- every aspect other yeah. than myself. Right. Um, that I, it was the first and really only loss I've ever had that I actually like cried on the way home because yeah. there was the That's expectation, tough. the weight, because like the news the next day was like Liam's going to states. Yeah. No duh. But it wasn't. They had to stop the presses. And like, I, I was such a baby, but like thinking back on it, like, but it meant that much to me. Yeah. That like in class the next day, I, I stepped out, I was crying. And like, I was just so upset at, because I didn't live up to the expectation and right. I didn't live up to my expectation, not only the public, but my expectation. Right. And that loss and how I handled it framed how I went into my senior year. My coach and I, drastically changed yeah. how I perform or like what I did at meets because in right. dive meets right you do a dive then you have 20 minutes to sit in a hot tub relax no. check your iPhone <laughs> you have 20 minutes until you have to athletically do something else yeah, again right. so you have to warm up again right and especially in high school you have 11 dives oh yeah so, so it's, it's like 11 events It's f- it, and there's three cuts or there's two cuts got it first five next three and then you're in the finals yeah and so it's the, it's a mental game and the whole meet itself takes like three hours for you to do 11 physical feats yeah and it, it's two what I was doing in preparation for that meet my junior year we said Liam no more we know what your talent level is in comparison to the field we know what you can do don't watch the meet number one yeah number two bring music sit off in the corner just like focus on you don't focus on everybody else right yeah 
that bring seems it centric. Like an easy and adjustment. That, so I and and it was. Yeah. And look at the result that happened the following year. I that's mean, the direct time. result the following year. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's that might that that's a that's a great that's a great arc. That's a great story. You know, it's like learning the lesson, applying the lesson, like getting fantastic results. Right. That's. That's Don't crazy. have the Super Bowl hangover. So your first major loss in life was your junior year of high school? Uh, <laughs> Come on, Liam. Of one that I can remember. I mean, there's probably so many. I mean, so Pops my, is a hard coach at tennis. He hit tennis balls at me yeah. on purpose because I didn't get low enough. He'll admit um, that, and he's proud of it. I mean, that, but that's yeah. not a loss. That's that's, that's just coaching. That's, that's a good Pops. Yeah, that's, that's just a good father telling you what to do. My first loss that I, like, the, my first, like, seared in my memory loss, it was uh, a 10 and under s- South Texas swim meet. So the way the way the Texas club swimming works is you do stags is what we called it, South Texas age group swim meet, swimming, something like that. And then if you, if, if you finished... If you if you got your stag standards, then you get your tag standards, then you get your junior national standards, and you get your senior national standards, and then you get your Olympic trial standards. So, I was, as a as a ten and under man, let me tell you, like I might even hold like one or two ten and under records if Eddie Jew didn't steal them all from me. If you're but, not in the swimming world, age group meets are arduous. They're the worst. They're like they're like eight hours. My dad, we'd go up to. <laughs> oh, they're terrible. My dad and I would drive up to Austin, Texas, and like we'd be there at like four in the morning. We would be in a fifty meter pool, an entire fifty meter pool, and it was literally head to toe the entire pool in every single lane filled <laughs> with kids. Uh, like, you would jump in the pool, and you like you would have to like 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 work you'd your have way to in. Find your way, and then you're like, it, it's it's incredible. I had to work a few, and I, it's miserable. Uh, Swimming does a lot of benefits. I know I've knocked it because it's my job to do it as a diver as it is you as a swimmer to me as a diver. But swimming does a lot of great things for a human. But as a parent, I can't do it. My dad dad would just sleep in the back and he'd be like, wake me up before you race. (laughs) Swim meets would be way better if they did beer and wine. Oh, I'm telling you. Unlimited. Yeah. You got to. Let them get hammered. For the the athletes or the... Oh, no, the parents. Oh, I was going to say. For the Liam. parents, let them get hammered. Let the fights <laughs> in the stands happen. You could swing the camera around. All of a sudden, you got a fight in the stand. You got a race going on. The parent is already into it. You're going to have a bat dad up in the corner. Yeah. yeah way better. I, I, I see no bad results. You get a few cops on hand. Well, I was at the Stags meet. Sorry. And my dad was sleeping somewhere. No. I was at the Stags meet and I like these these meets are like three days. You're doing three or four events a day and and at all of these meets you have the the high point award, which is like the person who scores the most points in all of the meet, you get the high point award. And after like I had a good day one, I had a good day two, and going into day three, I like a final in all my events and I was crushing it. Right? Literally, it all came down to the final event. It was the 50-meter freestyle. I had to swim from this end of the pool to that end of the pool. And literally, the only thing I had to do was finish the race. I needed one point, and I would win high pointer. All I had to do was finish the race. Take your mark. And I remember this was back when you had to, like, step up when they said take your mark. And I remember, like, my toe was a little pigeon-toed and, like, a little curled over. And I messed it up. I messed up, like, the easiest thing you do in all of swimming. And I, like, grabbed the block and I started to, like, roll forward. And then they went beep. And then as I was diving in, it was like beep, like the false start alarm. And the things dropped. And I, like, pretended like I didn't hear it. And then I hit the rope that stops you from swimming. And then I turned around. And then there was a judge standing over my block. And he... 
disqualified me. And I lost it, man. All I had to do, all I had to do was finish the race and I lost it. It was miserable. Thinking back on it, like as an adult, you're like, if that's like, if that's all I needed for victory, why don't I just wait a second after the bell and then go? Like my time is not even impressive. Yeah. It's the fact that like finish. Well, it's crazy because like when you're, when you're nine, like when that's when your you're, world. Yeah, when you're 35, looking at what you thought was important when you're nine, you're like, "This is ridiculous." Douche. But when you're nine, <laughs> oh, it's everything. That's your world, man. Like that's all you have in your life. Mm-hmm. Crushed. The more crushing thing is I didn't get that plaque. Luckily, it wasn't a trophy because I. <laughs> this this was before the. the oh, clean you're a trophy sweep. guy. More of a, you're you're a trophy guy, not a plaque guy. Yeah, plaques are garbage. Like if I found out that the that the the champion gets a plaque, come on. Like I, trophies, seriously, what looks cooler? A beautiful trophy hanging like it's mounted on your wall, or a medal. Well, right? a trophy like the, can't be mounted on a wall. Yeah, like you mount the you mount the thing and then you, you put it, the trophy on the you thing. You can put it on like a shelf. Yeah, I'm just saying. But a plaque can be mounted on just a wall. Just saying. The most the, like the most the, the what's the best room. what's the best trophy? Like what's the best sports award on the planet? Like it's not an Olympic gold medal. It's the World Cup trophy. What's better than that? The Stanley Cup. Well, there's, yeah, I've, I've had right? a discussion with a lot of people. I love that What's discussion. The best, What's the best what, thing Yeah, what is it? What's the best? I mean, me as a tennis fan, I like the Wimbledon trophy. The Wimbledon dish. <laughs> That's the female. Now, what, what the women's get? champion oh, get a dish. They get the little... The little... The, the, the little. The, it's, you know how big you are? Your arms are huge. No, the women get a dish that is quite large. It's like the something rosewater dish. Isn't that sexist? Women get a dish and men get the giant goblet? Well, the men get like a pretty sweet. It's only like as big as my torso, um, but it has like a little pineapple at the top. <laughs> that thing's ridiculous. <laughs> Pure do, gold. Do they do they get to keep it? I think they get a replica. They get a replica. Like Rafa, when he won the French for the tenth time, got a real French Open trophy. Oh, they gave. They, they actually gave him a real one. Yeah, it wasn't a replica. Yeah, but it's like. No other human is one. Worst. What's the worst? You know, like the all right. So the the worst trophy, the Stanley Cup, the World Cup, maybe a Wimbledon thing. Like, what's the worst? Like, it's got to be the green jacket, right? No, no. Most coveted. Yeah, it's coveted, but it's a jacket. It's a green jacket. So what? You can't wear it out. Yes, you can. Well, I guess, you're not gonna, so great. I guess you're not going to take the Stanley Cup out. Yeah, what are you going to take the Stanley Cup? Which they, well, do, they do when they, they win. They do, I guess. But yeah. it's like forever, no. But you can wear that green jacket everywhere and everyone knows yeah. what that is. I mean, also, winning the Masters is super cool, but I feel Everyone like knows that jacket. you have that green jacket all and right. you belong to Augusta. I take some of the most powerful people in the world. Yeah, all right. So maybe it's not the jacket. What's the worst then? Have you ever seen the Triple Crown Trophy for the horses? The, the rose thing that they it's put? Not, no, that's when they win an individual race, but the actual Triple Crown no. trophy. It's like kind of cool, but at the same time dinky with regards to like the magnitude of what just happened. It's um, it's an upside down black pyramid and like this like oh. silver kind of like thing, if I'm recalling it correctly. I think it's not the worst, like, right? There could be really bad trophies out there. I don't know of them, but like for what you just did, yeah, that trophy needs to be way that's better. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. See, it, it goes back. Like, 
we have this discussion all the time that I strongly dislike having the like the best and the, the worst, worst bit ever. And like well, it's ESPN talk. Like in the realm of conversation, and like right, listen how I phrased the triple crown trophy was it's the worst for the accomplishment. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's sort of the thing. It's not like it's not like best to worst, but but if it's if I'm gonna dedicate my entire life towards winning an accomplishment and the accomplishment is a a terrible upside down trophy thing, like meh. Also, lame. I, I think the World Cup trophy fails in the comparison to the accomplishment. It's as big as – it's this. It's this big. Yeah, it's a little small. little small. That's all you're getting. In yeah. fact, winning the Premier League gets you a trophy this big. Winning yeah. the UEFA Champions League gets you a trophy this big. Is, does – I mean I know the answer. Like when I, was, when I was 12, I remember competing in this soccer tournament and the second place trophy was – basically the size of a statue it was the biggest trophy i've ever seen and obviously the first tr- first place was bigger but i remember playing so hard to get into that final match like i didn't care i just wanted one of the big trophies <laughs> <laughs> i think our whole team was the same way they shouldn't have put those trophies out there i think that's why they do it yeah it's why they bring the trophy down to the field yeah to show you what you're fighting for yeah it gives you that punch yeah, it, it it lights a fire. It shows you what what are we fighting for? Would a, would a trophy light your fire now? No. What would like money? A high a, five. Accomplishment does. I'm accomplishment driven. Yeah, but like, doesn't the trophy represent the accomplishment? Because I'm not gonna. Because I'm not braggadocious either. I yeah. don't like like if I'm walking around with that trophy. Then everybody's going to come up to me and be like, oh, you did such a good job. Hey, congratulate. And it's like, I appreciate that. I sincerely appreciate it. And I'm not going to reject the thanks, but I just don't like bringing it to me. So if you're, you're, gonna fueled, come up to me- you're fueled from like just like your personal sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when you know you did a good job, you're like, yeah, I'm right. Pretty, I'm pretty pumped. I that. mean, once again, I, I don't think it's bragging because there's, there's been way better times. It's like, but like, like when I have gone for Fran over the past few years, like – I have been motivated by like I will beat that time. Yeah. I will hit this standard. It's like if there was a trophy at right. the end of it, I wouldn't care. Of course, right? But like the CrossFit Games, I mean, you take it you take helps. the medal, you take the big check. It definitely helps. Yeah, but it's like I would love to stand on the podium. Like what? And what has always driven me is like I love winning. There's no. There's no, like, you can't give me something that's going to motivate me to win more than just the sheer fact of winning. Do you love winning more than you hate losing? I hate losing. (laughs) It grinds my gears. I'll lose it, like, really minor things. And it really grinds my gears. Yeah. Like, it's hard, like, and I'll think about, like, oh, what could I have done to get over it? Where it's like, Liam, we're at a backyard barbecue playing volleyball. Chill out. And I'm like, yeah. Okay, give me like 10 minutes and I'll be back. So do you think, I mean, sort of one of the themes that we've been talking about this whole conversation is like the importance and and like lessons and what you take from athletics. Do you think that like caring that much about about competition, about winning is healthy? You ever think about that? Like do you yeah. do you care too much? Sometimes, but not to my detriment, I think. Yeah. Because I'm able to care, I'm able to take that transition and form it into Things I care about outside of athletics. Yeah, you're able to sort of like pivot that and like use that as motivation. My love for my friends, my love for my family, my achievements at work, if I care about work that much, like it, I'll transition it. Right. And I'll do that on purpose. Yeah. And so it's like in the gym, it's not, 
In the gym, it's not about winning. I, I could really, frankly, care less yeah. about winning the workout. I So we were talking about like what motivates me in the gym. Yeah. And one of the things I brought up was, and it's the same thing as in diving, was the external internal pressures. I enjoy carrying that because it pushes me to do something harder, yep. something better to make myself better. Right. Number one. Number two is um, I like embracing the suck. One of my first things when I was a, when I finally went to West Virginia for diving was our strength coach. A lot of people didn't like her. Her nickname was Death, but I did like her because she instilled such and she was the only coach in my senior speech that I called out directly mm. because she changed me more than any other coach I had ever will. Because she made my mind so strong. Mm. One of the first things she said, she got it from a coach, and it's been said a thousand times, but get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And diving, and I think, I really think swimming and diving are two sports that you have to do that with. With swimming, it's a sport of how fast can you go with as little air as you can. That's pretty uncomfortable. With diving, you are flinging your body off of a platform or a springboard doing an obscene amount of flips and twists to then hit water, which can knock you out, which can seriously hurt you. And the mental, you just get so mentally tired. And to be in the positions, to, to if you're all of a sudden lost in a dive, which you should never be if you're yeah. good, it's like being comfortable with being uncomfortable. For sure. And I love, it's, I, I almost live for like that metal taste in the mouth that like mm. I am now uncomfortable so you're you're seeking that I seek that yeah so I yeah like you were talking about that coach talking about you know that one of the biggest cliches in sports getting comfortable with the uncomfortable I first discovered that concept in the Lance Armstrong autobiography back when Lance mm. Armstrong was Armstrong was like and what winning. a sport yeah cycling is suck it up right and you know like <laughs> whatever whatever about the doping thing and the doping scandal I mean, at this point, Lance Armstrong was clean and crushing. And he wrote a book called It's Not About My Life. It's not about the bike. It's my journey back to life. And I'm telling you, for for a kid in the early 2000s who was like into sports, Lance Armstrong was your idol. And this book was your Bible. And in it, they were talking about, they were like, Lance, all this misery. You keep talking about how painful cycling is. Like, what, what pleasure do you get from it? He goes, Pleasure? <laughs> I don't understand the question. I don't do this for pleasure. I do it for the pain. Right. I seek the pain. I want the pain. I, the, pain the pain makes is me feel pleasure. alive. The, like, pain, the pain is pleasure. And I remember we went on a we, we went on a training trip to Key West, Florida every every year. And it was my junior year, and we were going to Key West. And I, it's a thir- it's it's such a crappy pool. It's it's on a Coast Guard base. It's a thirty three meter pool. It's freezing. It's like sixty five, sixty four degrees. They have these giant jets that blow out like right on the surface. Most pools have like the jets pretty low. But like if you don't swim fast in the wall, it literally like pushes you further away from the wall. And <clears throat> so you show up at this pool, and it, you, like everyone knows, it's longer than a normal pool. And the coach, the first Lee Lawrence, the first thing he goes. Down and back's a 50. It's <laughs> the first thing he says. Sets the tone. Sets right the there. tone. And I remember I listened, like I listened or I read that book, and then I remember approaching this training trip with this mindset that that no matter what, I'm going to seek the pain, that I want 
the pain, that the pain is something that, that I need in my life. And I remember diving in and it used to be like the last person into the water and like the coach would have to turn on the hose and like start spraying us and then we'd dive in and then the water was cold. And I remember like swimming slow and being like, oh, like living in that cave of negativity that we were talking about. But when I shifted my mindset and I said, no, I seek the pain, I want the pain, the pain is pleasure. I remember the coach would yell the warm up and he'd be like, all right, on the top. And like the, the second hand would be on like the, the 30 or whatever. We'd have 30 seconds before we had to start. And I, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait because it was so exciting. And I would just dive in the water and I'd just start swimming. And the whole team was like, who's this? Who's this guy? And then it sort of culminated in this one big set. Like this is like one of my biggest wins. It was one of these like drop down sets that, that, you know, it was like pretty common in swimming, but it was an in infinite amount of hundred freestyles. So this would have been a uh, hundred and what's that? 33, you know, whatever. You're adding like six. Four lengths of this 33 yard pool. So 124s or whatever it is. And so it was on some interval, like two minutes. And so you do five at two minutes and then you do five at 155 and then five at 150. And it just drops and drops and drops and drops and drops. Until people are knocked out. Right. And then like old Sean would have been like, this is awesome. I get dropped out super easy. Then I just swim slow for a while and practice is done. So, but new Sean, pain loving Sean was like, this is not happening. I'm going to win this. I'm going to live. I'm going to so win. deep in this pain cave. And I remember there was like, there's always those like distant swimmers on your team that, you know, you know, can hang on for a long time. And I was like, I'm going to beat every one of them. And it, it was down to three of us. And I remember like, it was just like, you touch for two seconds. And they're you competing. Off. You touch for two seconds, you push off. You touch for a second, you push off. Then the, then the, then, then it dropped five more seconds. And I remember I beat him. He fell off. And now it was just me. The whole team at this point, no one's swimming. Everyone's watching, just seeing how long they're cheering. I make one, I make two, I make three. And then eventually I fall off. But I was like, I was living in this immense, like internal misery. And the only way that you can live there, the only way that you can operate at that level of just like internal, like suffering is to view that as an insane positive, as an insane positive. Insane. Not just like, yeah, I I wanna I wanna enjoy the pain. No, like I need this. Mm -hmm. I need this. Also, about that instance, what I'm sure made it fun was you were competing against people who had the same mentality. They wanted to win. Right. And for people that don't experience competition, whether it's at a low level or a high level, when you're genuinely competing and this is like when, when people just in general pick up to go do something I don't understand why you're going to do something if you don't have the intention to win I really don't understand that mentality I think that's a loser's mentality but that's really harsh but that being said for people that have never experienced competition that's my harsh mentality that's, yeah. that may, well, hold on people who have not experienced competition before don't understand how much fun it is when you and someone else or your team and another team are competing equally as hard and you guys are in a battle. It is a battle to win, to surmount. And that, it's like mid-match flow. When we're playing spike ball. Yeah. Is it, I mean, it's, I don't want to downput and I enjoy a lot of people coming out to play spike ball. It makes everybody better. But it's like I don't always want to play a match against someone who's at a much lesser caliber because the fun is not there. You want to play the best person. Always. I don't care if I'm getting spanked. I don't care. 
they may care because I'm at a lesser caliber and they want to play someone better. Right. I understand that from their perspective, but that's not what I'm there for. And when I'm there compete, like we are competing, and especially when you're in matches where there it's even, yeah. you don't know which way the tug of war is going to go. That's when it's just so much. I'm getting chills thinking about and I, it. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think what happens at that level of competition is you enter this state of flow. And mm-hmm. so what I'm sort of sort of what I'm most interested in now because I find myself. So this is this is a really interesting pivot in this conversation. So I find myself really like ever since I stopped swimming, I found myself caring much less about sports, about really competition, about. Like even CrossFit, like I, I show up, I do CrossFit, I'm passionate about it, it works, like I, like I love CrossFit, it's great. But I find myself like, meh, you know, like I've never... I also think that's a time thing. It, it, it could be a time thing, like but... time away from competition. For but sure. when you compete, like when we're doing spike ball, right. you're back into it. But I think it's this idea of flow. And I think that as humans, we want to be in this mindset of where we're just living, <clears throat> we're just living in this like absolute moment, like... Like, I think that like when, when, when everything else on your consciousness fades away and when it's, when it's just what's right in front of you, I think that's one of the most liberating feelings in the world. You Absolutely. For, you forget about your taxes. You forget about your debt. You forget about relationship problems or family issues or, you know, whatever struggles that you're having in your life and you're so focused in this moment. I think that's what we're after. And I think sports get you there super quick. I mean... Largely, this conversation has been like pretty deep flow. I think the gym allows for that opportunity. So even for someone who doesn't view CrossFit the way that I view CrossFit, I think going to the gym allows this. And I, I say that from the perspective of when I would go to practice every day in college, when someone was having a bad day or you brought with everyone is bringing baggage of some sort. But one thing my coach made abundantly clear, he said, whatever's happening on the outside is beyond those walls. And we are here to focus on what we're doing today. Let all of that go away for these next two hours and focus solely on this. You can focus on the fact that you've got got three exams and I have all this homework. Yeah, forget it. But it's one thing saying that, and it's the other thing like putting that in action. So how do you, like when you you come in the gym, how do you, how do you like, what's your, what's your approach? What tactics do you use to like let to let the world kind of slip away and to be focused on that moment. Um, It's kind of how I approach in general cutting things off for everything in life. So like when I leave work, unless I truly have something to be done, I cut it. It's like light switches. Yes. Like you're you're at work, you're not at work. You're in your commute, you're not in your commute. You're in the gym, you're not in the gym. Yeah, and that's almost precisely it. Interesting. So you're able to segment like that clearly. Very clearly. Yeah. I was able to segment that that clearly when when my work had to stay at work. Like when I was on the submarine, it's like I can't take work home. So when I went home, I found myself much more free. But now that my work is literally everywhere and, and all the time, it's harder for me to make those distinctions. But I think that's a really good approach. It's sort of like like you're building intentional like boxes for you to like operate in. It's like yeah. or setting rules for yourself. I don't I, I'm, right. I'm setting the boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries. Now That's there are the I was looking for. there are days where I've come into the gym and like the, the people who work out with me on a daily basis, like it's clear. You can I, I wear my emotions pretty much on my sleeve, and you can see when I'm having a good day and when I'm not. And when I'm not having a good day, I will almost explicitly seek out the gym because I know that working out increases my endorphins. I know that working out 
gives you natural and yeah. dopamine. I know that the end of the world, I know that especially when I go to CrossFit, I'm going to have to interact with people that are positive. Right. So it's going to force my mindset to change. So you really see, like, you really see the gym as like medicine. Like, you know, you know what's going on in your life and you know that the, 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 the medicine is going to fix it. Right? Absolutely. Like, I, need, I need this, I need this, I need this. And I get that at the gym. And like when you're having a bad day or like whatever, you know, like just like when you when you have a cough, you take this. When you feel like that, you go to the gym. And it's scientifically proven medicine. Oh, for sure. Like happiness is there's many ways to like go around happiness or human flourishing. But one thing that we absolutely do know is that physical activity drastically increases your creativity, your productivity, your positiveness, and your ability to achieve. Yeah. So why would I want to ever get away from any of that? There's yeah. what what negative? I had to spend an hour. Sometimes I spend four at the gym. What like okay, that's a negative, but I chose to do that, so that's not a negative. Yeah. Like what negative is there? There's not. Yeah, I think like speaking for the people who see a lot of negatives and working out, I like one of the things that I struggle with, uh, you know, and I was I was able to overcome this at various points in my athletic career in the past, but especially recently with CrossFit, like one of the things that I struggle with is just building the motivation to get in the gym. Like I'll look up a workout and it's like, oh God, ah, I'm terrible at that. Or that's really heavy. Like I know how much that's going to hurt. I really don't. And it's like, I, I mentally defeat myself before I go in. And one thing that I've been doing recently that I've found to be pretty successful is we were sort of talking about this earlier. You, you create you create the worst case scenario in your head, mm-hmm. right? And what what tends to happen is not the worst case scenario. More often almost, than not. Almost never the worst case scenario happens. So when you know when I look at a workout, I'm like, oh, that's gonna be so terrible. But then when I do the workout, it's not that bad. So what I've what I've started doing for myself to overcome these obstacles, because I know all the benefits of getting in the gym, I know I need to do this, I know I need to whatever, but like I find myself just constantly being mentally weak. So I tell myself, Look, show up. Don't try. Like show up and do do women's RX or less than that. Like just show up and lift like lift the lightest weights that you can, you know, lift to make it still look like you're lifting something. You know? Like But social pressures will probably push you to do better. And it's not even social pressures. It's I mean sure like there might be some social pressure, but I legitimately like the motivation it takes for me to get from my house to the gym is fueled by the idea that I'm telling myself I'm not going to work hard when I get to the gym. It's like, oh, I'm, like, I'm just going to go for a walk. Like, how hard is a walk? I you see know? what you're saying. And so when I get to the gym, then it's like, yep, I'm still telling myself. I'm still giving myself permission to go for a walk. But then, like, I start jogging a little bit. It's going to get a little more intense. <laughs> you know? And then by the time the workout comes, it's like, all right. Let's run, baby. I see that as a wonderful strategy. For sure. And I, I, I think it works so well. This, and I, what I, I call it like the, the show up, don't try. Like show up, don't try. That's like just show up and don't try. Because being present, being there is literally the battle. There was this, this book, uh, Daily Rituals. And one of the authors was writing or, or the author was writing about, you know, a bunch of different people's daily rituals. And I think she was a, I forget her name, but she was like a world-class ballet dancer or something. And obviously like physical fitness was important for her profession. And she said that like her morning ritual was waking up, calling a cab, going downstairs, getting in the cab. That was it. That was her ritual. 
The cab took her to the gym. When she got to the gym, she went in. When she got in the gym, she worked out. But all she had to do was to develop the mental strength to get to the cab. Not to do the workout, not to do everything that came after the cab, but get to the cab. And I think a lot of people, when they you know look at starting habits of like waking up in the morning or you know, changing anything in life. It's they look at the, they look at the mountain of the task instead of just getting to the first base camp. Like if you want to wake up early and work out, set your, all you have to do is when the alarm goes off, get out of bed, put on your workout clothes. It's, I live my life by cliches because I think, because I think they're easily relatable. Yeah. The journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Boom. It's what's easily said. You like any habit you want to just implement is that. Yeah. Now, I like I I understand and I really like your strategy of how to get to the gym. For myself, I always like I'll look up the workout earlier in the day and then I will set specific goals. So whether it's a time goal, something that I think I can achieve, yeah. but and, and I will. I'll make my goals scary. I don't know if I'm going to be able to achieve it. I don't yeah. know. I'll, and I'll purposefully do that. You you set expectations for yourself. Always. Yeah. Um. So I'll set the goals. I'll make sure that they're higher than I think that they should be, um, and then adjust mid-workout if need if needed. But I'm actually setting it up to say like, okay, let's specifically achieve things. Whether that's a time standard or a movement standard, like I'm not going to drop the bar when I do these things yeah. or when I go for this complex. Or it doesn't like. There's so many different ways that you could phrase your goals. It's not just an overall time goal. Like if it's for time, sometimes I don't look at like, okay, I'm doing this all for time. What if I'm looking at like, I want to be really consistent that day. Yeah. I want to do every round at this pace or better period. Yeah. So you just sort of, you pick a strategy and like you, you get yourself amped up for that, for that goal or that agenda or whatever. To achieve something. And it ties along to when that Admiral, uh, Gave a speech and he said, make your bed every day. Yeah. Because at the minimum, he ended, at the minimum, you go home and you achieve something. You have a made bed. So I know that every day when I go to the gym, at the minimum, I achieve something or at least gave myself an attempt. Yeah. Do you know what I've started doing? So that admiral's like, wake up, make your bed, feel accomplished for the day. I did start making my bed after I yeah? speech, by the way. Yeah. No, nah, I don't make the bed. <laughs> I, don't have, I can't. I can't. I, I, it's just, I, All I, I don't like make the bed. I just make you, like you the, flop the sheet. Yeah, I flop the sheet at the Naval Academy. You like you're supposed you you have to have your bed made a certain way. You go through such the quarter test efforts, nonsense. You go through such efforts not to make your bed. Literally at the beginning of each semester, you put the bed on a few chairs and then you 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 make your bed. Well, you actually make your bed, but then you take shirt stays, the thing that holds your shirt to your socks. You take shirt stays and you you. You batten down every single sheet with like a thousand shirt stays. And then you put your bed into place and then you never touch it. You never touch it. You never get under your sheets. Never. And you sleep on top of your bed and then you pull a blanket over yourself. And then you put the blanket in a laundry bag when you're done. Everyone does that. So, nah, I'm not making my bed. But I started thinking about what that what that admiral said, and I was like, "Yeah, he's got something going." And then at the same time, I was reading about all these benefits of like cold exposure and cold showers or, or ice plunges and how you need to do this. And so recently, I've been starting off. I don't want to say every morning, but probably like four out of the seven mornings of the week, I wake up and I, like I don't think I wake up. I walk straight to the cold shower. I turn on the shower, and it's like. <laughs> 
That's a commitment. It's amazing. That's a commitment. It's amazing. It's so incredible. And for the first probably few months, it was like I was hopping around. I was like, oh, 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 it's so cold. And then I would like jump out of the shower. And like now it's like refreshing. It's like brushing your teeth. I turn on the cold shower and it's like... And it's like I, like, I take that first life and it's like Jon Snow coming out of that. Like, <gasps> Yeah, it's amazing. And or, that is a wonderful feeling. But there's another thing that I heard you say in there is that you don't think. Yeah. Now, that's not a negative. Oh, yeah. It's it, the same thing as what you're telling yourself to right. go to the gym. Exactly. And if you psych yourself out and, and this, is sort of, this is sort of what I've been talking about with like, I think CrossFit is a great mechanism to, to employ, to learn and develop like about yourself, to learn about yourself, learn where you personally are mentally weak. Like right. I am mentally weak in, in like, it's, I, I guess like I'm afraid of the pain, right? Like that's always been my challenge. Sure. I've always been afraid of pushing myself to these dark, dark caves of limits. And so like, like that's what I'm afraid of. And so I've learned that because I've I've pushed myself or I put myself in scenarios where, you know, where I'm exposed to those those hardships, I guess you could say. And so I think whenever you endeavor to do something hard, it's really about learning about yourself. Like when when my sister and I started to or when when we were starting this business, I thought I was creating a CrossFit gym, but really it's just the most expensive self-help like apparatus <laughs> imaginable. <laughs> Right, because the gym is literally limited by like by my ability to, you know, maybe put myself out there or learn something new or like be effective during a work day. You know, like everything is limited by my like by me, and so I need to make myself better. Like if I want the gym to be better, I need to be better. Right, and so anything that you want to do that's hard in life is really about learning about yourself, and I think that's a beautiful thing about CrossFit. Every and day. And I think that's the like the the thing that I've learned about myself is that if I want to do something I don't want to don't want to do, I set my I set my mindset the night before and I say this is happening. I'm waking up at this time, like no discussion. Turn it off. And then the alarm goes off. I get up. I do it. And then like the like when when things don't happen like that, it's because I didn't fully commit the night before. Right. You know, like I think Emma Emma started this like Tuesday morning run club thing. And I go. Like when I say I'm going to go. You go. I go. But when I don't say I'm going to go, like no chance. And like a lot of people, like it's really easy to flake nowadays because like you can text and like you don't have to commit. But it's like if you say I'm going to someone in the face and then you flake, it changes the game. I say we do volume two because I could talk about mental toughness all day long. And I have some, they're popular opinions. But strict opinions. I, yeah. I frankly don't care if you're going to be soft on the subject, but mental toughness is a, is a legitimate thing that carries not just from athletically to everything you're doing in your life. Everything. Unquestionably. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. It's, it's, a, it's a topic that needs more exploration. We also, maybe in volume two, need to explore Liam the mascot. Which we didn't oh, yeah, that's a fun little period of time. <laughs> that's a fun period of a few years. Cool. All right, Liam McLaughlin. Thanks so much. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Fit Aid as well as Old City Cross. <laughs> and LaCroix. And, and LaCroix. <laughs> Shaw Dog out.